Hey, this is Micah Bosworth. I'm the pastor here at Ridgepoint, and this is our sermon podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today. Hope this is an encouragement to you. Hope it helps to build your faith. And I hope it helps you to see that God is working in your life. Enjoy the message. I really love Christmas. I do. I love Christmas, the Christmas time, and all that it means, uh, and all that I get to teach my kids as a result of what we focus on this month, uh, this season of, of the uh, year. And so I want us to look at this uh, morning, the timing of Christmas. All right, the, the subject this morning that I want us to think about is what Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 4 was the timing of of God sending his son. And I want us to trace the timing of Christmas uh, through the Bible and get a, get a thought for us this morning just to trust the Lord because of his previous timing and really uh, his timing today. But Galatians chapter number four, and I'm just gonna read two verses, all right? Verses four and verse number five. The Bible says this. It says, but when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. It's short enough, so let's read it one more time, all right? I love these verses, some powerful verses. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, that means he was born in the flesh, made under the law, that means he was born a Jew, okay, born Jewish, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of of sons. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you this morning and we just want to ask that you would speak to us through your word now. Lord, would you help each and every one of us to have open hearts and minds to hear from you. And God, I pray that as we look to the incarnation, Lord, as we look to the coming of your son, Jesus, here to dwell amongst us here on, uh, on this earth. Lord, may it enliven us, may it uh, open our hearts and just uh, may it motivate us, Lord, out of love for who you are and what you've done to do more for you this season and with the rest of our lives, God. We pray that you would use your word to do just that work in our hearts. And we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> I, uh, I said I love Christmas, but who else here loves Christmas? Anyone else? Yeah, you love Christmas? Who loves Christmas music? Some of you love Christmas music. Who could listen to Christmas music all year long? Any of you? A few of you? Okay. I'm not that way. My wife is so much that way. My wife is the kind that she could probably listen to Christmas music all year. In fact, my kids are that way as well, uh, and I'm not. I'm the, I'm the kind that's like, I got to wait till after Halloween, and then after uh, Tuesday, and the only reason I'm extending it to this Tuesday, the 26th, is because we're celebrating with Rebecca's family on 26th. But then Wednesday hits, no more Christmas music for me till after Halloween next year, all right? Uh, whereas my, my family, my wife and my kids, they listen to it all the time. And uh, it's, in fact, it's become kind of a game in our house because uh, they like to listen to it all throughout the year. And so uh, if they're listening to it any time that's not between uh, the November 1st and December 25th or 26th, uh, then uh, they, they got to be cognizant of when dad gets home from working because like right as I walk in the door, they got to stop playing it because dad doesn't want to hear it. Uh, but, uh, and, but my kids, it's funny because sometimes the girls, especially, especially now, will, uh, they'll keep it playing on purpose so just to see my reaction when I walk through the door like, Christmas music, what are you doing, right? Uh, but but uh, for us, our family, we have one of those 
Many of you have seen it if you've been to our house. We have one of those little home devices of, uh, you know, home speaker, Google Home, Alexa, things like that. You know, the things I'm talking about that gov- the government uses to listen in on our uh, conversations, right? Uh, those things, is, it's playing music all the time. And especially in our, uh, our Christmas time, it's, uh, it's playing Christmas music all throughout the season. And so I hear a lot of Christmas songs, uh, old and new, all the time, uh, every year because of that. And and honestly, as a pastor, uh, I, I get a little irritated sometimes with Christmas songs, just to be completely honest with you, because there are so many things that we have, we've commercialized and gotten wrong about the Christmas story itself throughout the years, and it's, it's creeped into some of our Christmas songs. And uh, last week I said a little bit on, I think it was either during our morning service or during the Christmas party, uh, that I said, Joy to the World originally wasn't written as a Christmas song, right? It was written as a song for the second coming. And if you read the, if you actually read the uh, words of it, you would see that uh, being the case as well. It's talking about the second coming and the kingdom that will come as a result. But uh, I'm okay with singing around the Christmas time. I, we sang it last week. I think I have it on the schedule to sing tonight, okay? So uh, we're going to sing Joy to the World. I'm okay with it. But it, it's just kind of funny that we've uh, stolen it and made it a Christmas song. That song, The First Noel, The First Noel, if you read uh, some of those words, there's these words in there that say this, on a cold winter's night that was so deep, Okay? Uh, the reason I, I just as a pastor, uh, think, okay, why are we using some of these words is because most likely Jesus wasn't born on December 25th. Did I burst anyone's bubble uh, saying that? Most likely he wasn't born on December 25th. Uh, and and uh, the people who have kind of dated it that way uh, take it based off a of superstition that uh, prophets were conceived the same day that they died. And so if Jesus died around the March-April time, then that would means he would have been conceived around that time, which means he would have been born around December. They do kind of the math that way uh, to figure it out. But uh, most, most scholars, most Bible scholars believe he was probably born around March to May. And just read the Christmas story. Uh, the reason that they went down to Bethlehem was because a census had been decreed by Caesar that everyone had to travel to their hometown to uh, register. Uh, it, it wouldn't make much sense to make everyone do that during the worst possible time of year to travel, right? During the winter months uh, and where it was really cold. So uh, the, the, some of the words have creeped into even songs like the first Noel. Uh, and then silent night. What do the words in silent night say? Silent night, holy night. What are the next words? All is calm. Since when has a birth of a baby ever been silent and calm, right? You think about that. Uh, I, I've been to now three, four births, but two of them were at the same time, all right? So three births uh, in our family. It, there's nothing silent or calm about that uh, whole ordeal. And so I can't, I can't imagine describing that uh, as what took place. There's that other song, We Three Kings, right? We Three Kings of Orient are. We don't know how many kings or magi or uh, wise men that there were. Uh, it could have been three, could have been two, could have been 20. Uh, we know they brought three gifts. And then there's that uh, song, Away in a Manger. Beautiful little song. The second verse says, The cattle are lowing, the baby awakes. But little Lord Jesus, what? No crying he makes. It's a, it's a beautiful thought, but he was a baby. And he was tempted on all points like as we are, yet without sin. He, he knows he, uh, our infirmities is what the book of Hebrews tells us. And so I believe as a baby, he would have known what it was like to have to communicate through screaming and crying, right? To get the milk that he needed. And so most likely it was not 
no crying when he was woken up in the middle of the night by the bleeding of a sheep or a goat or something like that. Um, and, and I say all those things, uh, you know, a little bit jokingly. I, 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 as a songwriter, I believe in poetic license. And so it's okay to, uh, to embellish a little bit in song and maybe be a little bit off in those things. But uh, you go through the Christmas story, not to, not to even mention all the ideas about the inn being a hotel. The inn wasn't a hotel that like they were knocking on every hotel's door. The inn, the word inn, in fact, if you look at it, Jesus used the same word later in his ministry talking about the upper room that they were going to re- uh, rent uh, to have what we know as the Last Supper, but they were going to observe Passover together. And so the, it was just a guest room. So when it says there was no room for them in the inn, it's saying there were no guest rooms available. All right, there were no guest rooms whatsoever uh, in, those, in that town. And uh, the stable probably wasn't some cute little uh, wooden barn. It was most likely a lower area of a house meant for animals, or it might have even been a cave of some kind. The manger probably wasn't made of wood. It was probably a trough hewn into rock, uh, a big rock or a stone, and so many other little things, okay? And I'm not trying to ruin the Christmas story. I love... I love celebrating the Christmas story. I started this message off by saying, I love Christmas, all right? I love Christmas. Uh, but but you, you get the point that I'm saying, that uh, we, we kind of get off here or there throughout a lot of songs and celebrations of the season. But as I was listening to all those songs, all right, there's one song that I think just will, it stands the test of time and will stand the test of time uh, on pretty much every test for me. And that's the song, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. I love that Christmas carol. Hark the herald angels sing. It was written by a theologian, Charles Wesley, the brother of John Wesley, the founder of uh, Methodism and all of that. So it was written by a theologian. And so uh, that I, I love the second verse especially. Let me read the second verse. We, I think we would probably all know it by heart, but I love that second verse. It says this, Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord, late in time, Behold him come, offspring of a virgin's womb, veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hail incarnate deity, pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. Now what powerful words of theology we have there in that song, uh, that, that word, the, even the wording's late in time. If you, sometimes you read that and you go, wait, I thought God was never late, right? Late in time, what are we singing about that? The uh, wording there is kind of what we see, uh, think about when we say someone is late, later in life or late in life. It's saying that they're mature. It's saying that the time of Jesus' birth was at a place in time where everything was in place that needed to be in place. It was full. It was mature is the idea. Late in time, mature in time or full in time. Uh, the Godhead see or behold him come so it's it's very similar actually to what Paul said when the fullness of the time was come when the fullness of the time was come and so I want us to answer a couple questions this morning about the timing of Christmas all right and some of those questions when did Christmas begin all right we'll answer that question when did Christmas begin and then why was Jesus born when he was born so when did, when did Christmas begin? Did Christmas begin at the manger when Jesus was born? Or did it happen when the angels announced to the shepherds that he was born? Did it happen when the, the magi came to bring the gifts? Or did Christmas begin earlier? 
Maybe like in the book of Daniel, when the prophet saw a vision of a kingdom filling the entire earth, ruled by one person called the Son of Man. Or maybe we could go back even further. Did it uh, begin in the Old Testament book of Isaiah when he said uh, that uh, the, uh, the Lord himself would give you a sign and that uh, you would, the uh, virgin would conceive and that his name would be Emmanuel and the, uh, the government would be upon his shoulders and all that. Does it go back there or even a couple chapters later where it says that unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given? Uh, well, I, I, would, I would say that yes and more so. If you were to go to the beginning of Christmas, if we were going to go to the beginning of when Christmas began, I think we would have to go all the way back to the very beginning of the story. Back to the beginning of the book of Genesis itself. In Genesis, it opens up and it, it starts, you know the book of Genesis, it starts out with Jesus creating stuff and he likes it, right? That's Genesis 1 and 2, essentially. Uh, that He creates things and says, it is good, right? It's good, it's good, after he continues to create. Then he, he creates his crowning creation. He, he made, uh, made something in his own image. Mankind, man and woman. The, the glory of God manifested in these two people, these obedient, at the time sinless in, uh, people in cooperation with their father. And God said it was all very good. He said a lot of things were good. He made this creation. He said it is very good. And, and then we get to chapter number three. You, you continue the story, Genesis chapter number three. That's the uh-oh chapter, right? Because uh, we, we discover that because man was created with free will, that first man and woman, uh, they, they had decided to disobey God, to, to not cooperate with him, to estrange themselves from him, and to cooperate with the serpent in the story. And because they listened to the serpent and cooperated with him, they in essence became children of the serpent, or as uh, the New Testament writers uh, call us, the, the children of disobedience. That's what we were in sin. We're the children of the serpent, children of disobedience. And, and they were so alienated from God. God took it so seriously that he kicked them out of the garden and he would not let them return. And we read that uh, and we think, well, now what? What, what is God going to do next? He, he gave man free will and this is what they did with it. Will he ever be able to redeem and restore his fallen creation? And we're kind of left wondering that until you get to verse number 15 of chapter number 3, where God said, I will put enmity between you and the woman, speaking to uh, Adam and, and Eve and here specifically the serpent. He says, I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall crush your head and you shall bruise his heel. This, this verse, uh, Genesis 3.15 is called by theologians, it's a big word, it's proto-evangelium. It means the first gospel, the first good news. Now, at, at that time in history, we don't fully know what that means yet, mankind itself. All, all we know as mankind in that moment is there's going to be a conflict that, between Satan and the seed of the woman. And at the, at the very beginning of that verse, the word seed there, the, the Hebrew word there, it could be either plural or singer, singular, but the, the next phrase tells us it's going to be a singular uh, meaning because it says this, and he will crush your head and you will bruise his heel. So there's a he in the story that enters here. There's a he who is coming. 
So we, we know there's going to be a conflict and the conflict is going to end when one comes to strike a fatal blow to the head, the authority of the serpent, Satan. And he, that he will get a minor temporary bruise in the heel. And we know at the, this time from this verse that it will be a descendant of the woman. Well, if you continue reading the story of the Bible, then we know that Cain kills Abel, and then Adam and Eve conceive another son. They conceive a son named Seth. And then Seth, he has descendants that if we continue reading, we find out leads to a righteous man named Noah. In fact, Noah, he lived righteously in the midst of a wicked and perverse world, a world so wicked, in fact, that God destroys the whole world with a flood. And everyone is killed in this flood except for how many people? Eight, right? Noah and his family. So now we know the he that is coming, the he that will uh, come to crush the serpent's head will come from the line of Noah because they're the only ones left, right? On down the line, they're the ones left here. And then you continue reading and you find that a descendant of Noah named Abraham, God makes a promise to him. In Genesis chapter 12 and in Genesis 22, he says, I will bless you. And he said this, and I will bless the world through your seed, through your descendants. And then the promise, if you continue, goes down to his son Isaac. And then the promise is passed down from Isaac to his son Jacob. And then the promise goes uh, from Jacob to Jacob's fourth son by the name of Judah in chapter 49. Of Genesis, And then you continue the story and a man by the name of David from the lineage of Judah, he's given the promise that he will have a descendant that will sit upon the throne and rule the earth forever and ever and ever. So we, we have this line established from Adam to Seth to Noah to Abraham to Isaac to Jacob to Judah to David. Well, no wonder then when we open up the New Testament right there at the beginning, Matthew chapter number one, it begins by saying this, the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And then the line is traced and preserved all the way back. It's the line of that one, that, that he who would come, that seed who would crush the serpent's head. And by, by the way, did you know that all throughout the Old Testament, the prophets of old spoke in advance of Jesus' birth and life and death and resurrection. And when I say in advance, I don't mean a, a good guess a couple months ahead of time. All right? I, I mean, there are multiple contingencies that could not be controlled or known about in advance. But yet these things are written about in detail hundreds of years before they happen. Some of them uh, thousands of years before they happen. All of it written to authenticate that the scripture, the Bible, is different from other quote-unquote holy books. It is the word of God itself. And the word of God predicts the work of God through this one who is coming. Through this one who would come. Paul talks about this right at the beginning of the book of Romans. He says that uh, Jesus Christ is testified of, the old, of old through the prophets in the scriptures. That it was concerning Jesus, the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. What's Paul saying in Romans chapter one? What Paul's saying is he's pointing to the fact that Jesus has credentials that no other religion has. 
his bodily resurrection from the dead, and his fulfillment of prophecy. So, so Christmas began, I, I believe if we were to trace it all the way back to its beginning, Christmas began all the way back with a promise, with a promise to mankind that there would want, be one who would come and who would fulfill that promise to right the wrong that had been done by sin. So it began with a promise all the way toward the beginning of the story, and it was continually prophesied about, but then the promise was fulfilled, and Jesus came right at the right time. But, but why then? Why did Jesus come to Bethlehem during the middle of the Roman Empire? Well, in Galatians, Paul tells us he came in the fullness of the time. The, the word here in that passage of fullness is the Greek word pleroma. It means ripe or ready or completely filled up. It, it, it was the ripe timing for him to come. Everything was filled up. Everything added up perfectly to this timing of the Lord's incarnation. Just a side note, God, God's timing is always the right timing, by the way just so that we can remember that even today. He's never early and he's never late. He is right on time. And, and we see that with Jesus coming to this earth. When Jesus first comes on the scene in his ministry, you see uh, these words come out of Jesus' mouth recorded by Mark. It says this, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. How was this the right time? Well, uh, a few things as we look back on that time in history. I, I believe it was the right time spiritually. I believe it was the right time spiritually. The Jews, they had been oppressed for hundreds of years. The Assyrians, the Babylonians, then the Syrians, and now the Romans. They were, they were always crying out for a deliverer, the Jews were. But even secular history has recorded that there was a messianic fervency at this time. There was a heightened expectation of deliverance at the time of Jesus, unlike any other time in history. No wonder then when John the Baptist comes on the scene, they ask, are you the one? Right? Are you the one who would come? Are you that guy? Are you the he that will fix all of this? And he, of course, said, no, I'm not. I'm here to prepare the way for the one who is coming. But I believe it was the right time spiritually. It was the right time culturally. If you uh, look at the history and the culture of this time, before, a little bit before the time of Jesus, there was a man by the name of Alexander, and he thought himself to be pretty great. <laughs> Alexander the Great is what we call him. Uh, he, he had this crazy dream to make the whole world Greek. The, that was his dream. He wanted to Hellenize the world or make the world Greek, to give the world a common language and a common culture, his culture, the Greek culture, and he, and he pretty much succeeded. It was a, uh, said that for a time you could travel uh, from India all the way to Britain and speak that one common language Greek and be able to communicate with people. And so ideas could now spread freely. And, 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 uh, and not only ideas could be spread freely, but they could be done so concisely and precisely. Many people, uh, in many people's estimation, Greek is the most precise language to convey human thought that we have. So isn't it interesting that Jesus would come and the New Testament scriptures would be written in just the, this precise of a language uh, that, so that what God wanted to communicate to mankind through his word would be done so most effectively and most precisely. Isn't it interesting, the timing of that? believe it was the right time culturally. I think we could also say it was the right time politically. That, that the 
power and control of the time was the Roman Empire. It was at its peak of strength here when Jesus was born. They had just put into place a, a law they called Pax Romana, the Roman peace. It was an enforced peace, but it was peace nonetheless in some way. And in this time, they had built roads, about 250,000 miles of mostly paved roads. You could still see some of the remnants today if you go over in that portion of the world, that area of the world. And, and along those roads were posted soldiers who were, would keep the peace. And so now at this time in history, you have people who can travel speedily on those roads and, and safely because of the Pax Romana, spreading their uh, exact ideas in a common language. And, and then along with this, there's this perfect tension between the, the Jewish religious leaders of the day and the Roman government that would cultivate perfectly in the crucifixion of Jesus taking place the way that it did so that he would die and would be buried and rise again on the third day. Isn't it just so interesting that all of the cultures and the government authorities of that time and the religious leaders of that time, it worked out perfectly that they would take him down before the Sabbath so that he would be in there just in time to rise on the third day on that first day of the week. So we, we have all of this timing. Not be, besides even all of that, the prophecies of the timings uh, that were in the Old Testament said when the Messiah would come. That's, that's how in Matthew chapter number two, when the wise men come, most likely they knew of when the king of the Jews was gonna be born. Most likely they had been reading scrolls written by another prophet in their portion of the world who was named Daniel and said there would be this timeline of when the Messiah, this king that would come and would be cut off. And most likely they're like, the king is about to come and this star appears and they go, that must be the star, let's follow it. And they come and they end up worshiping this king of the Jews. So even the Old Testament prophesied of the timing of when Jesus would come. So the, the timing of Christmas, of, of the incarnation itself, Jesus coming was perfect. It was mature. It was, everything was filled up to the brim exactly what it needed to be in order for God to send his son. But then think about the purpose of Christ's coming. Not only the timing of it, but the purpose of it. And the next verse of Galatians chapter number four, verse number five, what does it say? It says, God sent his son. When the fullness of time had come, he was uh, sent his son. His, this Jesus was made of a woman. He was born of flesh, made under the law. He was born Jewish when the fullness of time had come. He says he sent his son. Now, that phrasing there suggests preexistence of Jesus. That he was somewhere else and that he was sent here to this earth. Jesus, he even used this uh, type of wording when he said he was being tried before Pilate. He said this, for this reason, I came into the world. He, he's saying, I was somewhere and then I came into this world to bear witness of the truth. Isaiah even uses this wording when he says this, for unto us a son is born, unto us a son is given, right? He was given to us. Jesus, he existed in the presence of God the Father. Jesus being the second member of the triune God. And, and at just the right time of history, as seen by God, he sprung into action and sent forth the Son from his presence into ours, the incarnation. Why? 
Why go to all that trouble to have it predicted and the lineage preserved and the seed go all the way down the line? Well, Paul says this, he, God sent his son to what? To redeem, to redeem. This is a term, the word redeem here is a term that was from the slave market of antiquity of that time. To, to redeem meant to buy back. And it was used to go to a slave market and you would put down the redemption money and buy a slave for, for yourself and would then set the slave free. That was redemption, to pay to set a slave free. So Jesus, he came from heaven to earth to the, the slave market of sin where mankind were born slaves to sin. And he paid the price so that we could be brought into his house and be adopted as sons. That's what it says. He came to redeem us so that we might receive the adoption as sons, as children of the king. So those of us who are saved, you're not slaves anymore. You, you are sons and daughters of the living God, bought with blood, purchased by God because the, that seed has come to end the dominion of the serpent. Jesus Christ has come and has crushed the authority of Satan over sin, with, uh, and crushed the authority of sin and death over people's life. As they accept his gift of salvation, he moves into their life and brings them that victory so that they might receive the adoption of sons. So you, you think about all of that and can you see why that line in Hark the Herald Angel Sings is so good and so good. Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord. Late in time behold him come offspring of a virgin's womb. Veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity. Pleased as men with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. I mean think, think about the, the words there. And think about this. That's a stark contrast to the songs that the world is constantly singing this time of year. Right? Let's just look at one of the songs that is very popular around this time. You better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout. I'm telling you why. Santa Claus is coming to town. Right? What does it say? He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. A little creepy, but okay. <laughs> He knows if you've been get bad or good, so be good for goodness sake. Oh, you better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout. I'm telling you why. Santa Claus is coming to town. That, now, now you, you sing some of the uh, songs of this time and, and hear some of those things. And there was a man named St. Nicholas or Nicholas. Uh, in fact, he was a pastor. He led a church and gave gifts to the poor. And that's where a lot of the legend comes from. But, but not the way the songs say that he did, Right? And I'm not saying we can't listen to Christmas songs about Santa or snowmen or whatever. I'm not, I'm not saying that at all. I love those songs. They're fun to listen to. And there's a time and a place for that fun. But I'm, I'm just contrasting the two. I'm just contrasting them. How different the reason that we celebrate this holiday. That we don't celebrate this holiday because some transcend, transcendent mythical person rewards us with gifts if we are good. Right? That's not why we celebrate this holiday. We celebrate... Because the transcendent, sinless, perfect, holy, loving, merciful, truly omniscient, omni omnipresent, and omnipotent God has come in the flesh to this earth and is with us, not once a year, but every moment of every day. And he gives us gifts, not based upon our own performance, but because of his performance. And he extends mercy and grace even when we don't deserve it. 
And, and our reason for celebration was not just anticipated and predicted in past ages before his coming. But, and, and not only is it still celebrated today in the modern New Testament age, but it tells us in the book of Ephesians, in the book of Ephesians that even in the ages to come, that he will show us the exceeding riches of his grace in Christ Jesus. Even in the ages to come, we'll be celebrating all the riches that we have as adopted sons and daughters of the king. That word adoption, we looked at it when we studied the book of Ephesians, but it just means those who previously were not a child are now henceforth to be known and accept all privileges of one who is born as a child. So every single one of us will see those riches, not just now on this earth, but for ages to come, those unsearchable riches will be given and shown to us because of what Christ Jesus has done. As I said at the beginning of the, past, of the message, I love Christmas. I love it. And, and this Christmas, I would invite you that if you've never come to know this Jesus as your Savior, that you would do so today, that you would call on this Jesus who entered into the world, changing world history forever, that you would call on him to enter into your life and change your life forever. And for those of us who do know Christ, I would say be comforted that God is always on time. He, he sent his son to be born when the fullness of the time was come. And he is coming again. Scripture tells us he's coming again. So may we trust that his timing is perfect. And may we live in awe of who he is and that he came and what he did for us while he was in here on this earth and that he's coming again. May we celebrate and stand in awe of all of that throughout this Christmas season. <clears throat> I love how, just to close out, this uh, kid's storybook title kind of puts together this. I've, I've referenced this book several times just off and on. It's called the Jesus Storybook Bible. And if you've never, this is for adults too, not just for kids, all right? It's, it just shows uh, how all the Bible points to Jesus. Just from the very beginning, first page, it says all of the Bible is not about some heroes to emulate and all this. It is about a savior who would come and redeem his creation. But here's the, here's just, I'll read a little bit of how it uh, tells us the coming of Jesus took place. And uh, I think it, it goes perfectly, the ideas that they have in here, perfectly from Galatians and Romans and Luke and Matthew and all together, all right? As it says this, I'll read this and then we'll close. It says, everything was ready. I already like it. It's already right there in, in, uh, with our Galatians passage. Everything was ready. The moment God had been waiting for was here at last. God was coming to help his people just as he had promised in the beginning. But how would he come? What would he be like? What would he do? Mountains would have bowed down. Seas would have roared. Trees would have clapped their hands. But the earth held its breath. As silent as snow falling, he came in. And when no one was looking in the darkness, he came. And then it starts to talk about when Gabriel comes to Mary and it says this, Gabriel said, Mary, you're going to have a baby, a little boy. You will call him Jesus. He is God's own son. He's the one. He's the rescuer. The God who flung planets into space and kept them whirling around and around. The God who made the universe with just a word. The one who could do anything at all was making himself small and coming down as a baby. Wait, God was sending a baby 
to rescue the world? But it's too wonderful, Mary said, and felt her heart beating hard. How can it be true? Is anything too wonderful for God? Gabriel asked. So Mary trusted God more than what her eyes could see, and she believed. I am God's servant, she said. Whatever God says, I will do. Well, sure enough, it was just as the angel had said. Nine months later, Mary was almost ready to have her baby. Now, Mary and Joseph had to take a trip to Bethlehem, the town King David was from. But when they reached the little town, they found every room was full. Every bed was taken. Where would they stay? Soon Mary's baby would come. They couldn't find anywhere except a stable. So they stayed where the cows and the donkeys and the horses stayed. And there in the stable amongst the chickens and the donkeys and the cows, in the quiet of the night, God gave the world his wonderful gift. The baby that would change the world was born. His baby son. Mary and Joseph wrapped him up to keep him warm. They made a soft bed of straw and used the animal's feeding trough as his cradle. And they gazed in wonder at God's great gift, wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Mary and Joseph named him Jesus, Emmanuel, which means God has come to live with us. Because, of course, he had. Thank you so much for joining us. A special thanks to those that give generously to our ministry because of you that this ministry is possible. For more information about our ministry, check out our website at wenatchechurch.com. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe, you can share it with your friends, hit the share button or take a screenshot and share it on your social media and tag us at Wenatchee Church. Thanks again for listening. God bless.